Welcome to Targeting Stations. This is Matterall on June 29th, 2021. We are going to be looking at Gobbins Town Hall, which happened on Sunday. In addition to that, we have a rare uh, exclusive view of Vince Draken addressing NC Dot. We managed to get that smuggled in. So we'll be going through Vince Draken and his words and what he's telling NC Dot at this time. These, these are, that's a really good treat. Uh, Gobbins a little more public because Horde's bigger, and of course, anybody's welcome to join Horde, so those audios get out, but NC Dot, a little harder to get. So very happy about that. Uh, we were just finishing downloading, as I was explaining, so we're ready to go. Our sound is back up. Our uh, audio files are linked up. We're going to do what we usually do, which is listen to them in their own words, and I'll give context as it's uh, necessary. But I also said something else uh, a few minutes ago that I want to repeat, that uh, I want to thank you for your subscriptions to this channel and for people who <clears throat> help fund us through Patreon. So you can reach us at patreon.com slash matterall. Those people uh, who are listed in red here, as you can see on the right-hand side, um, well, they're in the top sponsor category, right? So Xylic Xanath, who you guys have seen around. If anybody knows streaming, they've seen that name because he showers people uh, with subs and stuff. There's Zenk. There's Shakin, uh, who's a builder, I think, from Amarian and Hysac. He only builds Amarian stuff. Hoffman X, who you've also seen. Very generous guy. G.I. Joe Dirtbag, who is uh, an industrialist. Exarchia from Bastion. Uh, who's been a longtime subscriber, and Artemis Albosa. You know him from, well, he's on our staff, but he's also um, Declarations of War, and he's from Noir. So these are the guys that are top sponsors. If you're in top sponsors, you get into a Patreon club. And in the Patreon club, I probably shouldn't show what we say, but uh, you can see that it's just Patreons and me. There's really no staffers in it. Uh, that's it. And they get uh, direct access to me to talk. There's no favors or anything, but, you know, uh, and they actually don't ask for anything. It's so funny. I ask them, like, what kind of things do you want? Do you want merch? Do you want this? Do you want that? They're like, we don't want anything. We just want to support you. And uh, thank you. You Really, with, without our Patreon guys, without our subscribers on Twitch, and now on YouTube, you can subscribe, join the team there. Without you guys, there really is no talking in stations. It does not continue because uh, I'm not going to just donate all my time and then donate all uh, my spare money at the same time. It has to come from somewhere, and it comes from generous people who want to support uh, the donated time that the volunteers give and that I give. And so I just want to say thank you. And last time I did that, I was muted, and this time I want to make sure it gets out there. <laughs> you know who you are. I can't thank all these uh, Patreon guys because their names are emails to me, and... Um, I don't want to say emails, but here we go on with the show. Um, oh, all this to say the Patreon guys that listen to the podcasts. I know we're like three weeks behind on issuing out podcasts. I'm going to do them all. And that's what you see here is a slew of podcasts. I've been burning through week after week. We will within the next three days, I think be completely caught up on the podcast front. Let's get started. we're going to go in this order. We're going to take Gobbins first on his town hall, and then we will go and, and uh, listen to Vince Draken, which I'm excited about. Okay, this happened on Sunday. This is the voice of Gobbins talking to Horde. 
I see people are still joining, so let me start also by thanking everybody for their votes on the CSM. Uh, really happy with the turnout this year. Some people were voting with like tens of accounts. That's really impressive. I uh, really appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Okay, so we can start the town hall. Uh, today, I have a number of topics here in my notes, but uh, I wanted to start with a story, a little story that uh, frames the topic of diplomacy, alliances, blue donuts, um, and even stalemates or better yet, equilibriums. And uh, this is a story that starts in 2018. I have a link here. We'll skip this. There you go. This was an old article from the time. And basically, uh, Ord and uh, Guardians of the Galaxies had a disagreement and we reset each other. And at the time, just to frame this in what was the chessboard of the time. Okay, let me stop there. A little bit of history here. He's going back into 2018 with the war between basically Horde and GOTG. This is the war that destroyed uh, GOTG. GOTG changed their name to Dead Coalition. So if you've heard them known uh, as Dead Coalition, they were led by the same guy, Sort Dragon, and they were essentially the same people. Uh, so this is, he's telling you what was behind that war. And this is very interesting if you're at all interested in what we consider the precursor to Pappy. Like, how did Pappy form, and uh, was it inevitable and all the stuff that goes with that, uh, that they would end up joining forces, test, NCPL, Horde, to attack Goonswarm? Remember, this is the blue donut that he's taking on here, saying like, hey, it's everybody against Imperium. And I think what he explains here is what the blue donut really means and what it is, and... Uh, is there even such a thing as a blue donut? So let's hear that. You had Panfem together. Uh, FRT was separate. wasn't We weren't working that close with them yet. They were rather. Um, they, they were in the south. Uh, they were just uh, recovering, I think, from the post-ULX war. And there had been a deal that um, GOTG made with Goons after Goons had pushed Panfem out of Pureblind. And so the kind of um, stalemate or balance that w happened there is that one coalition was retreating home after a big war and another coalition had internal problems where one of the elements of that coalition, in this case, or reset another uh, entity within the coalition, in this case, uh, Guardians of the Galaxies. And it's interesting what happened next. The first thing that you could see in this war is that um, NC Dot had given some assurances to Guardians of the Galaxies, so they actually took Guardian of the Galaxy's side. The other person that was in our coalition, the other entity in our coalition, Pandemic Legion, sort of kept neutral because, understandably, they didn't want to take any side. And it was setting up to be a decently balanced fight, let's say, between Pandemic Horde, Guardians of the Galaxies, and then we had uh, Elonite and Black Legion on our side helping us. By the way, I remember when this conflict started, um, and uh, I think Pandemic Legion was also in a bit of a recovery mode. They were having a leadership transition, and uh, they were recovering from essentially losing to Test in the South, right? 2018, they basically, uh, the reason UALX was such a big deal was because it was a, a power shift from PL to test. And this is uh, in the aftermath of that. 
The first thing that happened is that uh, initiative at the time decided that GOTG was the underdog and they would help them. Again, that's kind of understandable. I don't know if at the time the relation of power was such that uh, GOTG was really big compared to, and especially in supers compared to us, and at the time's an advantage, but that's, that's fair. What happened afterwards, though, is that a lot of other entities started dogpiling. For example, Goons immediately deployed SIG to participate and attack us. And soon after, Test also showed up and attacked uh, Geminate. If you remember, at the time, we were living in Geminate and renting Kalevala. And what this triggered immediately, essentially, was that our war against GOTG ended and PanFam coalesced together again to fight this common menace. So uh, NC uh, became friends again with us. Uh, Pandemic Legion was already kind of on the same side. And uh, um, Black Legion was helping as well. And all together, we were fighting now this uh, combination of, it wasn't a full deployment with supers, but definitely a lot of... Uh, uh, manpower from both test and goons. Uh, we lost perimeter. Keepstar at the time, not Keepstar, we had a Fortisar. At the time, uh, we were, we, our renters were camped, so we had no income, et cetera, et cetera. And where I'm getting with this is that if you look at this time in, in this time in space, no, this uh, event that happened three years ago, that was one of the moments where you could have a coalition start to break off into smaller groups if you let it happen. But the way it often works is somebody is always looking for content and will go and try to pick on somebody that's suddenly isolated, hoping that either they can get a very good frag out of it or that they can, they can, sorry, did I post the wrong? No, okay, it's fine. <laughs> There's various reasons why you do that. But anyways, the, um, either that you can get a good frag out of it or that you can get one of the alliances that you're attacking to disband because everybody's against them. Uh, but the point was that through that action, it's funny if you think about it, it set in motion then all of the increase in PAMFA interest in, and especially from world point of view, in using a more diplomatic approach. And uh, one of the things that actually people told us at the time was when we said, you know, why don't you just let us have this war against, uh, against GOTG in peace was that we didn't understand diplomacy, right? That because we're sort of a younger alliance compared to these other blocks that we need to understand how to talk to people and make friends. Uh, and so we started doing that. And of course, if you fast forward to the situation now, GOTG was living in the area that now is occupied by FRT. Uh, you will not find GOTG on the map, of course, or on Dotland. Our allies from FRT have done very well for themselves, now occupy the territory. And I guess through diplomacy, we made other friends. We got back into perimeter, and now we have a different equilibrium. And the reason I really want to tell this story is because I think it shows a particular hypocrisy when people look at the map now and sort of recriminate about whether it's a blue donut thing or whether it's about um, how too many people are working together. Build on that, I want to talk about the topic of equilibriums. When we were fighting against GOTG, take back to now this time where essentially we were in a really uh, unenviable position because we were vastly outnumbered and our economy had been cut off. Essentially, our space was just a geminate left where we could do something. And even there, if you guys were around at the time, the amount of cloaky camping and roaming was pretty extreme. So it was very hard for people to 
to make money. That was sort of the equilibrium that manifested itself at that time in EVE, where you had, you know, through our actions and through other people working together and acting through diplomacy, and that balance was essentially inflicted upon us. We didn't choose it. That is something that happened through our actions and other people's action. There is always an equilibrium in EVE. There's always a moment where people are fighting and then it comes to sort of a, a moment of balance where there's not as much change as what was happening before. And then various party essentially decide whether they're happy with the equilibrium. And if they are, they will probably try to perpetuate the equilibrium. And if they're not, they will try to change it by either fighting out of it or making new friends or uh, trying to uh, find any way they can for the, the situation to change. And so this leads me to a lot of the current topics about whether it's fair or not to have so many people fighting against the Imperium or whether it's fair or not to maintain the current siege on 1DQ and whether it is beneficial or not. The, the most simple answer to that is that this equilibrium that exists right now is something that is far more beneficial to the equilibriums that we've had in the past forward. And particularly speaking, if we were to, for example, pull back from this war, it's not like the entire cluster would go back to a lot of infightings and smaller groups. You would go either from this equilibrium to another equilibrium that is worse for us, or one where goons are starting to push all the way towards drones. In particular, let's say that you wargame this. Let's say that we pull back Goons probably start to attack Test and, uh, and Legacy, and that wouldn't be a very long war, given that uh, the current uh, balance where essentially Goons more or less are balanced against our forces and Test. Imagine you remove our forces, uh, you suddenly have a pretty quick progress, I think, anybody would expect. On our end, let's say that we're back in Jones, what do we do? Who, who are the people that we could attack? There's essentially on the map only smaller groups for us to, to go after. And those, I think, would not be interesting finds at all. In fact, if you look at the map, in a way, the closest neighbors would be either Volta or XIX. And I think, for example, a war against Volta is something that personally I have absolutely zero interest in. Uh, I actually get questions sometimes from Volta whether they, they will be in trouble afterwards or something like that. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that Nobody in Ord is interested in just blobbing over there. Uh, I was making this joke yesterday to, mm -hmm. with some FCs that even if some FC wanted to go there, I think I would even say, you know, you don't even get SRP. It's like something you do with your own, on your own dime mm -hmm. because it's something that's so um, not conductive to content. And the other option would be something like XIX. By the way, there's a little hint at how, FC, how CEOs can control uh fleet commanders right there's this whole srp thing that um basically ship replacement program that keeps people in fighting ships so they can pvp without really having to lose time to earn money to buy more ships they get that all taken care of as long as they're doing what the mission of the group is the minute they start doing their own thing well then it's on their dime and that's where a ceo has more power than a fleet commander where uh, I think, first of all, these guys have been decent allies throughout this war. And second, if you had Pan, Panfem and especially Pandafem against XIX, I don't think there would be many good fights. If there were any, it would all be in a bad time zone. And where I'm getting with this is then 
the equilibrium just changes to where it's still one giant coalition against another giant coalition, except the way I see it, the point of this equilibrium shifts to where it's less advantageous for us. Um, and that is the way I would frame the whole situation. Um, but I'm not sure he makes that point as well as he could, but what he's saying is however you shuffle the board on NullSec, balances out into some equilibrium where somebody's fighting somebody and it's coalitions and now super coalitions that are fighting each other. We saw that in 2018 and we would see it again here. And so he's saying of all the options that we have, there is no better option. And he's gone through and described like what the alternatives are to what's going on now. And that is we can either fight goon swarm or we can fight groups like Volta that are tiny. There's really no in between. And there's no situation that doesn't end up in a gridlock where um, there's anything interesting or anything more interesting going on. I think that's where he wants to take that. But I'm interested in the in discussion about the topic, you know, if I miss something. Yeah, so he's asking for any I'm corrections. I'm happy to change my mind. Um, yeah, so that was the introduction about equilibriums and how some of these things work in EVE. Uh, now, I can check a few of the questions, but I have some topics. And there's too many. I don't want to go for two hours today. So I was thinking maybe people can kind of vote on which topic they'd like talked about next. So what I'll do is I'll post the topics in our pings and people can vote. And meanwhile, I'll just skim to see if there's any uh, questions or actually Ilian, so that there's no much there. Why don't you tell me on voice just, if uh, these are the six topics. One is about, about tactics and doctrines for the current stage of the war. So basically, um, in this stage of the war, what is our plan in terms of, uh, well, not just doctrines, but also tactics and what we want to do. Uh, Re React's working ping, right? Okay, yeah, just React mm -hmm. with the number. And you can pick multiple numbers. Number two is the subject of the economy. <laughs> I see that the, sp the spy is winning. Uh, number two is the subject. That's pretty funny. The spy emoticon or emoji that comes up. So people are self-confessing their spies. And that's the one that everybody's hitting. So that's why he, he started laughing of the economy, like uh, people have asked a lot about SRP and also uh, the locus moons that are coming up. Some of the other topics in this, uh, this sub, I guess in this topic is uh, uh, low sec mining and uh, uh, the MER that we've seen recently. <laughs> Number three is whether people want to hear more about the sort of geopolitics and uh, the large scale view of the conflict and what is going on around the map, what is our role, what are our allies doing, uh, how are things going. Uh, the four I put as a narrative-driven topic where basically it's less about technical things and more about like getting everybody. So replacing, you know, kind of the technical talk with a bunch. Okay, so he's laying out, there's six categories of things he can talk about and he's letting them vote on which ones. And later we'll find out which ones win. So there's no point in going through that. Okay, so while people vote, uh, is there any question that has been popping up about the introduction? I didn't know whether this was going to be too uh, difficult to follow for some of the newer players. So uh, if there's any question or something wasn't clear or, you know, just ask away, please. Have been uh, posting in town? Uh, it seems that the second most selected topic is people being a spy reporting themselves as spies, but uh, and number one is tactics and doctrines. Yeah, I kind of expected that to be the most popular topic. So uh, we had a meeting with the Dev Commanders, uh, DFCs, uh, yesterday about this, and it took two hours. So I will try to condense this in uh, some of the, the main topics. The key uh, takeaways were this. 
One, for tactics, it seems like the skirmish fleets are the best thing at the moment. And with skirmish fleet, it means that rather than a big format where there's a bunch of X, one second, where there's a bunch of X, you have many small fleets going out throughout the day uh, with smaller ships that are unlikely to elicit like a massive response from the other side. Or if it does, then it's really burning out their FCs to make big and serious fleet all, all day uh, against smaller forces. And it, it's also a bit what uh, uh, the Imperium has been doing, right? You've seen a lot more of uh, small bomber fleets and stuff like that. So particular, what are the doctrine for skirmish fleets? One of the biggest challenges is that you want to have doctrine that uh, possibly are common across the coalition so that it's very easy to get numbers, right? You can ping Puppy Assemble and get even just a couple of people from here and there, you get your skirmish fleet. So the first thing we're going to try is test retributions and those VPOLs from Securitas. So we have uh, adopted their retributions and they've adopted ours as VPOLs. So these are the two doctrines we'll start with, with skirmishes. And um, we've, we're also adding a channel to Puppy Assemble uh, for skirmish pings so that when people see a ping there, uh, they'll know if it's for a skirmish fleet or one of the bigger formups. Uh, just a small sort of... Uh, bureaucratic step, but sometimes these things are, uh, make people's life a lot easier, and especially FC's life easier, uh, to find fleets and to get people. The idea then is then uh, to use this skirmish fleet both for uh, countering goons, skirmish fleets that are making uh, attempts at, say, the jump bridges or coming into uh, out of the constellation or trying to hit uh, some of the other structures. Like today, they were, I think they had a I'm told several hundred bombers trying to ref a fort. In this case, when there's many people, that's that many hostile bombers, uh, we form something bigger in order to defend it, like we did today, and the fort successfully online. But when it's smaller stuff, then the skirmish doctrines were great. People, I think, have a good time flying in them. Uh, the commitment and the cost to replace the ship is more modest. So it's something that's uh, even people that haven't have seen in a while or that want to try their end at FC can, can try and do. And then if the skirmish fleets are successful, whenever there's a bit of a lapse in the enemy's defense, you start to have uh, bubbles being killed. Like on the other side of the... Um, the into when the Q or T3, uh, or, sorry, when the Q or three tech D, if you start to have bubbles killed, then you can think of escalating that and either with the same skirmish fleet start to poke Sino Jammers, poke Ansi Blexes, and make uh, actual progress, or you can start escalating from your skirmish fleet by starting to ping hacks and then going heavy, and now you don't have to jump through a super camped gate. This actually happened in some of the one of the best fights we had uh, now a few weeks ago, where I think Joey started with a jack the fleet and had some skirmishing around uh, ETEC V, and then he started to get the upper end, and that escalated into then hack fleets being pinged, <clears throat> and the escalation went all the way to hundreds of like it was a thousand man fight or something like that, which we won. So that's something we look forward to, and that uh, we was was be one of the main focuses. Uh, tactics wise. Besides that, there's a very interesting uh, challenge to be had in finding new doctrines and new ways to deal with a camped gate. So I mentioned the skirmish doctrine as a way in which you could deplete the gate camp and remove those bubbles with just a sort of constant harassment. But it's also possible that we find other solution to this where essentially we are in a situation that the gate is already bubbled. There's uh, dictors with wobbles inside 
there's scram eagles around the gate Wubbles. and there are fighters already assigned to the Wubbles gate. Are new. This I would frame is the main and a sino jammer, of course. So this is the main challenge and difficulty in assaulting a sino jammed constellation. How do you solve this? If you try to break in with just a big fleet, sometimes it works, but you put yourself at a huge, huge disadvantage. So the defender advantage, let's say it's maxed when the attacker has to funnel through one gate and uh, the system is sino jammed. What are other ways in which this can be solved? So we started theory crafting and brainstorming and a few things popped up. One, this uh, is something that may or may not work is the MJD DESIS that we've tried in one fleet so far. I've tried them in a second fleet, but we didn't quite reach critical mass. And the idea is very simple. You have one fleet that's entirely MJD destroyers and you just mass bush all around this fear on the gate when people decloak in an attempt to just wipe out the gate, right? Just wipe everything off the gate, particularly nice against fighters because they don't count towards the 25 limit of a command destroyer. So potentially you can wipe out all the trash that's on the gate and then your own ships, if you're in a hack fleet, can start burning off or maybe they themselves get bushed out. They warp off, they regroup, something like that. Uh, you will lose some ships, but it will be nowhere near the tax that you pay if you were to crawl your way out of this wobbled, bubbled, scram, fighter, sinogen gate. Um, so we're going to definitely try some things around that, uh, that um, mind space. And also the DESIs themselves, the MJ DESIs, once you start the fight, they can protect a kiting hack fleet because they're very good against uh, tacklers. They also help you if you have... Um, if you've been in this fight, sometimes you notice that if we start losing the upper hand, we get quagmired, right? You'll have a hack fleet that's now got a lot of tackle on it. The reinforcements from the enemy keep coming. You have wobbles, so you can't really disperse or uh, warp out, make range. And then I think that's when a, a massive commandessi fleet can help a lot by just coming in, bushing friendlies off and saving a lot of ships. Uh, yeah, so... I posted already the MJ Desi fleet in case people want to see the fits or train for it. Um, basically, if you can fly a jack, though, just cross train into a stork. That's the easiest and simple way. The best would be if you can do a Magus because they can swarm with the drones and reach far larger range. So when it comes, so when it comes to bushing, they're all equal, right? But when it comes to then helping our Kaidi hack fleets, then uh, the the Maguses, I think, are optimal for this fleet. Um, sort of linked to this doctrine is the speedy Serbs that we like Serbs with nanos, essentially. That, um, that we don't really have a name for the doctrine yet, but just to differentiate from the normal Serbs, uh, which are really great to use in combination with this because due to their speed, they can pull range from the gate, get protected by the the Magus, plural of Magus, and then. Um, they can apply volleys from very far. So I'm kind of really looking forward to testing this again when we get a chance. I think Serbs and uh, Magasus can be a very strong combination. All right, super deep in the doctrine weeds here, but uh, again, uh, Gobbins is somebody that knows a lot about ships uh, and it finds interesting ways to push them. Sometimes they fail, but he experiments a lot and you'll see that inventiveness. So he is um, a little unique in that he is not only a good pilot, uh, because again, he was in the Alliance tournament. That's just a long time ago. But ever since then, you know, he's just been a good uh, player in EVE Online in general. If you actually listen to Shadu yelling with somebody and somebody yelling back at Shadu, it's actually Gobbins, you know, yelling at him. Gives you an idea of his stature way back 10 years ago. Uh, and also, 
it tells you that uh, because he's a very kind of humble and quiet man that uh, he was doing the work. He wasn't talking a lot. He still doesn't. Uh, he talks to his guys to inform them. He's not even trying to persuade them. Uh, he's just informing them on everything that's going on and ticking off leadership boxes and stuff like that. But he knows ships. He's creative in his designs, his doctrines. He comes up with things on a big level. Some of them may not work, uh, and he'll be the first one to say that. When I was trying to congratulate him on the uh, Skybreakers, which was a really inventive way of using them, he's like, well, we don't know how well they're going to work. You know, we think uh, there's a few counters to that sort of thing. So he was the one that was saying, put the brakes on any, uh, you know, talk about it being revolutionary or anything. So uh, there you go. And he's, again, deep into the doctrines, all the way down to the skirmish level. This guy knows what he's talking about. Okay. The other large topic as far as uh, strategies that we want to implement, and is the obvious one, is T3 cruisers. So uh, T3 cruisers have been recently buffed already in the game in the sense that you can blobs them uh, with a, um, with a, what's it, a Black Ops ship. Yeah, a Black Ops battleship. You used to be able to bridge them. Now you can also do this conduit jump thing that saves you a lot of fuel, makes them more mobile. And on top of that, now on CC, there's a second pass to the blobs patch, which uh, both boosts some of the other blobses, but importantly, removes the skill loss from T3 Cruiser, which means they're a lot more, um, a lot more usable. All right, so you see at least this group in NullSec starting to prepare for using T3 Cruisers. Because of that change that's coming, it's not here yet. No more skill point loss if you die in that type of ship. So they're already looking at it, trying to figure out what they're going to do there. Because now, if, so if you wanted to have a maxed uh, T3C character flying your T3C, you were going to lose a level 5 skill every time. Now that is solved, so you no longer have to worry about losing uh, you know, skill points on top of this expensive ship when you use it. And the obvious... Uh, I shouldn't have skipped over this. I guess for newer players, this might be not, this might not be so obvious. The reason why T3Cs are really helpful uh, with this challenge of getting into a Sinogem constellation is that you can actually blobs T3 cruisers even if the system is Sinogem. You can bridge them in using a covered ops bridge or this new conduit jump. So. Mm. That allows us to apply pressure to other parts of the constellation without having to go through the gate, which eventually means if we had a large enough sub uh, subfleets of T3Cs, uh, you can hit other Sinojammers behind the 1DQ and then force uh, the opposition to respond by either sending some subcaps there, meaning that the gate we jump in is less camped now, or uh, if they do nothing, eventually the Sinojammer gets refed and we can bridge the main fleets uh, behind 1DQ and then start doing damage that way. I think it's a really important point now, looking at uh, the covert ops changes plus the T3 changes, making a viable strategy of putting uh, cruisers in the backfield of the constellation so you don't have to go through the gate camp in 3TAC-D or 1DQ. Right, So if you can get in there, create situations that need attention, you start to split up the cohesive Imperium defenses that are very much at the, at the gates. Right, If they have to worry about the village behind them, they have to start to move around. And you, might, you may, they either respond to those, he's saying, or they, uh, they lose jump uh, defense. So that's a big deal. So 
Uh, T3C is I'm interested in, uh, I think our biggest ambition is to try and make this into a SIG where people that specialize in T3Cs can almost have like a um, uh, standing fleet of T3Cs type. Probably that's a bit too ambitious, but at least having their own little fleets every day with action from T3Cs and uh, constantly stressing the enemy response. Um, so that's the topic of T3Cs. A uh, question that came up mm -hmm. is which one we might be using. People asking which one they should train up for the T3s. Because people have to train uh, We had a long discussion about this, and I want to say that the take-home message is that it's Lokis and Tengus, and that there is, uh, there's no agreement on which one of these two is the best. I think everybody has been telling me that the Proteus is awful. I haven't looked at it myself, but uh, I understand that is the case. Uh, and as far as Legion goes, I haven't heard anything. All right, so they're training into Minmatar T3Cs or Kaldari T3Cs. The Galente T3C, the Proteus, is still bad. It's usually the one that's the worst, except for certain particular uh, things. And uh, they don't know about the other one, the Amarian one. That one used to be really good at taking out, uh, It was, I believe it was anti-bomber, anti-tackle uh, in a, a while ago. This was like five years ago. But, so I would wait for people to come up with the finalized doctrine, but my expectation will be it will be Lokis and Tengus. Um, yeah, so on the subtopic of tactics, the other one I had down written down is about battle cruisers, uh, and this kind of ties into the economy. Uh, this one is about, uh, let me see how to frame this the best. Now, battle cruisers went down in price to build. The resources are not hard to get, and so people want to get into them. They are sometimes glass cannons because they can use large guns in a smaller ship. So you can use battleship-sized guns in a battle cruiser and get that huge DPS uh, with a smaller hull that uh, gets destroyed. But they're cheaper, so you can go through them faster. It's just a good brawling platform. Basically, some of you may be under the misconception that Tech One ships are extremely expensive and not viable since the changes to industry. And that was the case right after the patch, partly because of speculation and crazy prices, partly because people are not adapted. But the point is, right now, battle cruisers have become very cheap. Even battleships have been more affordable. And I think there's some um, exciting ways in which battle cruisers can be used in combination with our other doctrines, like just giant fleets that you keep reshipping. The disadvantage of battle cruisers is that they cannot perform very poorly against fighters, and we're mostly up against fighters. So they may not be the best doctrine to jump into the camp and to fight inside the camp, but especially if goons are to give us fights outside by trying to push out with uh, fleets that, of, of non-skirmish fleets, so stuff bigger than bombers. Like I've seen them sometimes now bring some uh, Ferox and Hurricanes fleets out. I think yesterday the Varcher was dropped on when he brought Ferox's, I think, and a couple of days ago, something similar with Hurricane. Then if there is such, if the, the war, the, the fighting, the, the trench, if you call it, moves more towards the outside of that constellation, I'm quite excited about the possibility of using mass battle cruisers on our side. Uh, and even then, there's some sort of experimental ideas of maybe uh, we can use battle cruisers inside that constellation. But yeah, I just wanted to mention the battle cruisers as well because uh, I know it's something that people like to fly en masse and I think they may be making a comeback. Um, right, we'll get into other stuff here. Yeah, let me see. As far as the topic of tactics, these were my notes. 
I can move on to the next topic or I can take questions first. Uh, Ilian, can you skim and tell me if there's something that pops up for this topic before I move on? Mm -hmm. I do not see any. Anyway, they don't, so. Yeah, let me skim. I think, oh, uh, somebody, I don't know if there's a question about time zones, but that's a good point. Uh, the, I want to mention this. Time zones. Besides just the, the tactics that we use themselves, I think one of the keys is making sure that the people that want to play, because there's a lot of people taking off time for summer or going away, and but there's a lot of people that want to play the game and have fleets. And I think one of the key aspects of all of this is making sure that there is active skirmish fleets, especially in all time zones. So we, I think that... I mentioned this in the previous update. I feel that US time zone had pretty good activity throughout, uh, ups and downs, but a lot of big fights. And then after that, still a lot of skirmishing. Uh, plus, this recent campaign in Esoteria with uh, a, a little bit of strategic objectives where we pushed out uh, hostile um, Bastion and good sacks, I think, from Allied Space. But anyway, so US time zone was doing fine. AU time zone had a lot of content while we were fighting in the constellation, and now there's some other objectives. I think we're pushing on Dracari space. So um, Aussie time zone was also doing fine content-wise. EU, I feel, has been a bit neglected for content, and uh, I, I think there was some, uh, let's say, reasonable um, complaints in the in the department of EU and the uh, ability to have fun fleets in EU. So what we started doing from the last week, from this week, I guess, like the, the one that's ending now, uh, was we tried to line up FCs to get the ball rolling with skirmish fleets every day in EU, even if it doesn't go so well. Sometimes there's some BRs where we fed, there's some BRs where we did very well. Uh, but in particular, I want to thank uh, Gerald, uh, Securitas, and then from allies, Adliner, and um, was it? Uh, I don't remember who it was from Tess. I think it was Sandrin, but if I got it wrong, my apologies. Some of the to having been running a lot of these skirmish fleets this week, and I think we can build on top of that for uh, good content in the EU. And this kind of falls under... By the way, Headliner, Pandemic Legion leader now, and FC has been running skirmish. I think I've seen a couple of battles with him in it. And I think this is a great credit to him because a lot of people are talking about Headliner uh, having found his uh, his footing as a leader and as a, as a fleet commander, uh, he's always been a good fleet commander, but a leader slash fleet commander and basically, um, you know, somebody to fly with and have some fun. So Pandemic Legion having a pretty good time of it lately. The topic of, of strategy and the, the skirmish fleets, I think one of the key aspects is that we have these fleets regularly and people can enjoy fighting in them. Um, let me see other questions. There was one question asked is whether it's feasible to basically just bubble fuck all of the NPC stations, I'd assume, to cut them yeah, in logistics yeah. routes. Yeah, yeah. So this was under my economy topic. Let me see. But we can go to that. Uh, I think what was the one with the second most votes? I'll jump ahead. Um that would be geopolitics and larger scale view of the conflict with right. ninety-four votes, I think. Okay. Well, look, I can go over this question real quick then and just briefly touch on the economy, then talk about the geopolitics. He's going to do economy, a little economy, then he's going to do geopolitics, as we'll hear. Those things are kind of mixed, but I think he's going to take this, uh, uh, basically, how do they stop logistic routes for the Imperium so that the siege is a little more mm, realistic, I guess. Uh, 
where is the channel? Sorry, one second. Let's get ahead. Okay, so one possibility is because goons have to bring in all this stuff to make it at least harder for them. You can never make it impossible because you can always uh, sign in uh, blobs uh, bridge in. Uh, or now I guess conduit in this cloaky allers. You can give your stuff to cloaky allers and jump those in. It takes a lot more effort, but there's there's not the possibility under current mechanic to completely stop ships from getting into constellation. Uh, but so we looked at the possibility of uh, essentially blockading the NPC stations. And so step one, you need to have forties are sub the station and prepare a lot of bubbles. And step two. Uh, you want to get the ball rolling with sort of a SIG or an FC that will watch over the bubbles and then uh, ping if uh, something is trying to undock or somebody's coming in. Another way you can go after the enemy logistics is to try to gank them in ISAC. And so I'll just uh, summarize this real quick without going on a long tangent, but we've set up uh, what we want in order to start if we want this blockading. Uh, I would say that right now, it's more a problem of whether somebody wants to take charge of this because it's a lot of work, but it's something we're interested in. And if uh, people want mm. to step up and start okay. this process, uh, we're absolutely in support of this. And likewise for Isaac, a uh, question that comes um, comes uh, very often is whether there's a chance to go and find uh, Imperium members that are trying to make money in the safety of Isaac and, for example, suicide gank them or um, impede their ISK-making activities. And so for that one, you also need a lot of work, but it's doable. Essentially, you need a, a ganking SIG or somebody will take charge of ganking them. And then you need a little bit of spy work to identify these old corps that are used in ISAC, the places that they go to make money and compile this information and organize it in a Discord. And so this was actually done. We have this information oh. and we have the Discord for it. And again, uh, if somebody is interested in uh, ISAC ganking and uh, uh, taking care of hunting uh, goons mission running or um, moving the logist doing logistics in ISAC, then uh, we can get you on the Discord. Then we can. I think Vince Dragon can get the ball talks about this on, on as that. well. So, so, yeah, that's my answer towards the the approach of denying uh, the Imperium sort of their um, logistical chain. Um, yeah, we can move on to the topic of the map, the, the geopolitics thing. Or well, I'll skip ahead, but that is one of the things that they he was saying they were doing, and you'll hear Vince talk about that. They've already done it. They've mapped out NPCs, alts, uh, and this is not something that's new. Imperium did that early on in the war and had some success in counting up how many times they killed freighters that were basically supplying Pappy. And I'm surprised, actually, that Pappy wasn't doing this earlier, or if they were, it wasn't that large an effort. It looks like now it's a super coalition-wide effort. As he's talking about it here, Gobbins is, and Vince will talk about it later. They have mapped out, uh, to some degree, don't know what degree, uh, the uh, alts for Goon Swarm and, uh, and the Imperium, and they're going to start, um, start tightening up those logistic lines. All right, so on the topic of global strategy, one of the things I wanted to talk about was this whole containment thing and uh, are goons contained, are goons not contained? Because it ties directly on essentially what does the map look like? What are the players on the map and how can they influence each other? Which is, I think, the basic way you could describe EVE uh, geopolitics or EVE as a game of the block game, right? I don't like the this this all the term containment or the narrative around it because it almost sounds a bit like uh, sour grapes like oh yeah yeah we didn't mean to 
go after one DQ, we just want to contain goons. And I think all right. The let's just be clear. The containment uh, narrative that's out there, I've actually only heard in one place, and that is uh, sometimes hinted at by Villy, but not in a very strong way. But I think uh, Trash Talk Tuesday, they talk about it all the time because it's Red Lines thing, right? So I talked about the wardens of. Uh, the North Warden of the South and, you know, these things, that was not a military strategy. That was me looking at the board of what a possible post-war could be when there's really nothing you can do to figure out how post-war is going to be. Uh, I think Redline, not an FC, or not, well, he's an FC, but not anybody who's um, making any decisions in this war brought up the containment thing the most that I've seen. So he's basically saying, if it's out there, if people are talking about it, understand I don't like it. It's definitely not something we're pushing. Everybody will admit that, no, the goal is to try and uh, burn 1DQ, burn those four TZRs, etc., fighting goons. And if anything, uh, as the siege reaches a point of, uh, call it stalemate or slow progress or one where the tactic keeps changing, you have a, uh, a situation where you benefit from this new equilibrium and the fact that goons are having difficulties influencing the rest of the map. And how do you identify this in particular? Because I've seen many people uh, on their side say, but look, we dropped bombers on Auroracle, so it means we're not contained. Anybody can move bombers anywhere on the map. You cannot really contain something like bombers. You can be in bombers bar and form a giant bomber fleet and drop on Rorkos without any need for infrastructure and need for diplomacy or um, sort of alliance sort of organization infrastructure or any form of org backing you up. Where influence comes into play is, for example, there's a timer somewhere in space. Are people worried that you will show up with a hack fleet and change the tide or not? Are you able to move caps to somewhere to I don't know, prevent Talosa Keepstar from onlining, stuff like that. And in that sense, I think the effect is very obvious. And I would point out in particular to these Pochfen fights that have been happening recently, where twice the Imperium has tried to defend their structure in Pochfen and twice they lost, not to us, not to some big puppy blob that came to stop them, but completely to people unrelated to us. I think from the battle report, it was a motley crew of like Dreadbomb, maybe was the most represented entity and then another uh, mix of smaller players. And I think when you try to look at influence and containment or whatever word you want to use, it's times like that where you see, okay, as a matter of fact, goons are unable to protect their assets and their allies' assets elsewhere on the map. Another example of that, I have a list here. Um, Bastion, Sachs, and others, I went over this briefly before, but they had fought very hard to make a push in Esoteria during the war and take, like, uh, inch by inch systems in there and encroaching on what was a test sort of core region. And all of this progress has been undone just in the last week, uh, relatively rapidly. We basically supported the AOM in clearing all these structures. And... Um, this is one uh, this is one example where you see the concept of influence. Can can Gun stop us from removing their ally structure and their progress in a region like Esoteria? And the answer is simply no. Interestingly, 
I want to point out that in order to support this mini deployment to Zotiria, we moved a bunch of caps there. And uh, they even bragged, aha, see, we, you, you had to move caps out. But I think that's bad news if you look at it from their side, because it means that we can move small forces of caps, obviously not all of them, but we can move a bunch of caps around the map with impunity due to the keepster chains and, and such, and still have enough forces back in Delft to stop them from pushing out or to make any kind of progress. So that means that essentially we can inflict our influence around the map against their allies and they can't really do anything about it. So this was the example for Ezoteria. Another uh, example of influence was in Aridia. We wanted the low segments. This is more in the economy sort of topic, but so I won't go into why we want them until that topic to, to just to be short, but we wanted moons in Aridia. They belong to Init. We took those moons. Again, that's not very far from Delft, but Guns, Imperium couldn't really send serious fleets there to contest either. Um, the last two examples, drones. This one deserves its own topic. First of all, to uh, recognize and uh, appreciate the good work that the standing fleet and the people back in, in Kalevala have done during initiatives uh, push and their attempt to disrupt the region. I'm going to post you something, which is the MER for the last three months. What's and the I'd like you to report? check something for me. I think he's going to show, uh, he's gonna, you'll see. Let's see. If you see the second region for Redding in the game, has been the Kalival expense for the last three months, which is the main region that uh, Init was hitting with their deployment, or at least when the Imperium announced that they would try to mess with Panfam's backyard. And you can see that the MER for the region basically hasn't moved. That means that whoever was writing in Kalevala, whoever is doing work in Kalevala, was able to continue mostly undisturbed, according to the numbers. These are CCP's numbers. Even under this... Uh, uh, this attempt of, if you will, the Imperium to influence our back, uh, our backyard regions where we make money. And if the narrative is that, yes, well, we're in Delft, if their narrative is that, well, we're in Delft, they can punish us economically by hitting our money making, those graphs don't quite support that. Um, I so wanted to add about this, which is kind of related to geopolitics. What he's saying there is that if initiatives attack on money-making operations of, say, Slice and whoever else was out there, if it's supposed to be disruptive to slow them down from having an economy that's working, then the evidence doesn't support that, which means that if from one month to the next there's no noticeable depreciation in income, uh, then you haven't disrupted their income. He's talking about Pappy in the backfield. The initiative has withdrawn back to 1DQ after claiming a mission successful over in that area. Fix that. In its deployment to, to drone lens is a good example on how the same mechanics that we are, uh, that are the challenge for us to overcome. So the fighters being on the gate, bubble gates and jammers are also very strong for us when it comes to us being in a defensive position. Like many of the stammer in drones, all we had to do was doing the same thing that they do in 3D. We did it on one of the big regionals. And then I remember this one time in it tried, even though they were outnumbered, that was pretty brave. They tried to jump in and take the fight before NC would arrive. But they, as I understand it, the NC reinforcements were on the way too quick. So in it immediately burned back. And even just that jumping in and burning back immediately costed them like several billion of losses just because of the mechanic of 
you jump in, you're immediately wobbled and maybe scrammed by some support, you're going to lose ships. So uh, this is to frame the, both the topic of how we defended drones and uh, yeah, and you see, I, I see some of the question. Yeah, in this case, I, you know, I wouldn't really point my finger and laugh at the end. I think, you know, they did what they could given the, the circumstances. But uh, yeah, my my point here is that as far as trying to influence in a negative way our backyard region economically, the same mechanics kind of protect us now. Um, yeah, and the last thing I had in my notes as far as examples of waning influence, if you will, is Catch. Uh, Catch is one of the regions that were burned uh, by uh, Init and the Imperium in the post-M2. If, if I get this wrong, please correct me. Basically, we were all uh, trying to make up for what happened in M2 and we're starting to push out. And meanwhile, uh, legacy and test were moving to Delve, Quarius and Fountain. And so there was a vacuum and uh, Init pushed into Catch, I believe, and Impasse. And uh, was there a third region that they started burning? Anyways, and then flipped the region. And uh, one of the uh, Chinese members of the Imperium called Dracarys moved into Catch. And we have started in Aussie Time Zone to essentially push back Dracarys and retake some of the territory. And that's another example where Dracarys actually gets some help from their warm-up friends, but Goons themselves can't really afford to make a big fleet and go help Dracarys in Catch. Because if they did, two things happen. One, it's very hard for them to jump back into their constellation because now they're, let's say they send a hack fleet, we can intercept it when it tries to come back. And two, if they were to empty one DQ to go to a timer somewhere else, we can immediately just spam ping, form big and get in. So they're kind of stuck in that sense, being unable to really mm -hmm. help their allies uh, or exert influence around them. Okay, that's a little important because I think you're going to see cash heat up. Uh, Dracarys is in there, an Imperium ally. And you saw recently uh, Siege Green came to attack Army of Mango. Siege Green also considered and called a friend to Fraternity because Fraternity, uh, Naros, leader of Fraternity, wrote this thing saying we are good friends with Siege Green. Siege Green recently, I believe, is in some kind of transition to Nelsec. That's going to be a very interesting topic uh, coming up soon. But they are also going to catch to basically burn out uh, the uh, Chinese group called Dracarys there from the Imperium. So what you have is uh, Asian time zone or Chinese time zone, we'll call it. Japanese is, uh, and Korean are all in the same time zone. And it uh, looks like something's going on in catch. So I think that's what he's referring to. And what, what he's actually referring to is that the influence, the Imperium influence is not there there is no help on the way if you remember 2018 the imperium could help test repel pl and winter coalition in ualx uh, they did it to some degree i don't know how pivotal it was but it was something it's definitely supers titans on field you're not seeing that kind of thing uh, even with uh, capital ships happen while the Imperium is busy in 1DQ and defending that. Um, That's the point he's making. Okay, so this is one of the things I had in my notes about influence. If there's any questions about this, about the concept of influence and why I don't like the term containment, and I think it's more important to understand sort of the geopolitics of EVE of how much a certain block can influence this or that. 
Uh, I have two other things, two other notes in this subtopic of the global strategy. Uh, let me check. Yeah, I don't see any questions, any particular questions. Okay, one, okay, this one is really important is if you have kept up with Oboleaks recently, uh, you will see that there's two new entries that seem related to the reserve key. One, I think, is the key itself, and the other is some NPCs that have the same name as the key, like this Aegis NPC. For full disclosure, we were told nothing new about the reserve key in the CSM. So I'm working from Obelix like anybody else when making plans with this. Okay, he's talking about the uh, encounter surveillance system, which is ESS. You probably heard that. And it is a percentage of money that's taken away from people who are ratting in NullSec. And it goes into this pot, actually it goes into two pots. One is temporary, it's only three hours long. And if nobody grabs that pot of money, it goes to the person that earned it, and so he makes off with it. Um, but there's a long-term one that is being released this quarter for every region all over the board, we assume. And uh, that is what he's talking about. And I think he'll talk about how that is several pots of money and who has best access to it, the Imperium or Pappy. I've mentioned the importance of reserve keys before, and essentially what are reserve keys? It's a tool that CCP is, uh, wanted to implement when they made ESS. They made it so you can always steal the money that was put into the ESS in the last three hours, but there's also a small amount of money that goes in a separate bank. And this separate bank can only be accessed using a reserve key. Reserve keys are not in the game yet, though, which means that these reserve banks have been accumulating money and money for now month. And the CCP, the last CCP blog about the topic said in their blog that in total there is eight trillion ISK in globally in those uh, reserve banks throughout Eve, and that was many months ago. So I, I say this all the time. I think by now it's probably past ten trillion. I don't have numbers myself, but if you even just go and check some of our random uh, ESSs in um, the most popular writing system, you will see that in each of these, there is easily 10 plus billion ISK just sitting there, which means that when these reserve keys are released, there's a huge, huge advantage for whoever controlled the map because, and we don't know how they drop, we don't know the mechanics. So, you know, it could be harder, it could be easier, but essentially if you can access the ZSS and put a fleet there long enough to protect the guy using the key, you'll be able to extract a lot of money that's currently trapped in those reserve banks. And that economically speaking has a big impact on the game. Uh, yeah. Any questions about the reserve key? All right, so this is something to look forward to. And um, the last note I had, I kind of went over this already, but it's about influence and the traffic of caps. Because uh, the way I would frame this is, it's very different if we are um, in the process of sieging the last constellation and our caps are strained to where we can't move them anywhere, then in a way that leaves us very vulnerable elsewhere. But I think something that's important pointing out, I mentioned the Esoteria thing, how we could split off a bunch of caps and it basically made no difference in Delve. There's also a lot of caps that have been moved out in other regions. And um, essentially, the, the idea is that we can bring caps back if needs be very quickly through the chain but even then, there has been no need yet. And that honestly surprised me. One example of this is when this push against drones started, I really thought that we should have moved our caps back immediately and take this very seriously. Uh, and, and I was wrong on this. Like other people told me, you know, wait and let's see first. 
And, you know, to their credit, I have to say that in the end, we never had to move back a bunch of capsome in order to defend. So if you combine this with what I told you earlier about influence on the map, essentially this puts us in a position where, I would put it this way, we can spare caps around the map if we need to. And on top of that, it seems like, partly thanks to the same mechanics that we're fighting against, uh, those caps aren't even needed in many of these places because in order to force us to use caps, the enemy would also need to commit caps and make a huge sort of, uh, put a big stake on the field and force us to get caps back home and uh, in order to contest them. But as long as it's just subs, essentially all you need is a few carriers back home on alts or even from standing fleet and suddenly jumping through that gate is almost impossible. So um, yeah, those were my notes about globally the map and the current mm -hmm. situation. Um, let me see if there's, is there any uh, questions or things you're curious about regarding the geopolitics of Eve, which I don't think so. Uh, we'll move ahead here. Uh, and so there he covered uh, what's going on in 1DQ. I think earlier than that was a few clues, which the Black Ops plus T3 changes might make 1DQ a little more interesting in the near future because T3Cs might actually get used uh, to infiltrate, which would be interesting to watch. Uh, he also heard there's a lot of skirmishing going on. We talked a little bit about headliner. Then he went to geopolitics. Well, before that, he said uh, logistic lines will be under attack from the Imperium a bit more. And it looks like it's now a solid Pappy effort, or maybe different alliances are doing it, different coalitions uh, separately. But both uh, Gobbins and Vince will talk about attacking uh, the back lines of logistics. And then here he's talked about what's going on in Catch, as well as what happened and how the economy didn't really falter during the initiative campaign, if that was their objective. That was not met, according to Gobbins. Uh, that has not been the stated objective of Dark Shines when he wrote his alliance. He said it was to split the firepower of uh, Pappy in 1DQ and to make them form in uh, the backfield, which, uh, which it did happen. So he's finished with geopolitics. We'll now go to the economy. So the question is what we expect goons to do or us to do when um, okay, I'm, uh, we'll go through this, but uh, as you can see, they get tired of answering this question, uh, but Gobbins has no problem answering it. It's the lieutenants that are like, you know, we get asked this every, every time. So the question is, what are goons going to do after they lose 1DQ? And uh, you'll hear the answer. 1DQ What goons do if 1DQ ever falls? Um, the an my answer would be that we don't care in the sense that once we achieve our objective, the war for us is over. If I had to guess, I think that the, this is something that they actually said themselves. I think they would go into NPC Delve and then they would take the first chance to rebuild and uh, push out again. That would be, I think that's a pretty safe guess. I think that's what everybody thinks that's going to happen. Um, alternatively, I guess they could decide to try going elsewhere on the map and build somewhere else. I, I find that unlikely though. Uh, did you see any other questions? I see some questions about the keys. Um, like there's a lot of technical questions now the keys would- um, In the interest of time, I want to skip the section. He talks about ESS, but there are some of you want to know this, so we're going to play through it. Work. We don't know, and the CSM hasn't been told either. There was a blog with some initial details, and I think from that blog, one of the things they said is that keys will be region-specific. So it's not like each key can be used in any region. 
but you, like if you want to open a Kalevala app, you need a Kalevala key. Now, where do the Kalevala keys drop? We don't know that. Nobody knows that. So I don't know if you run sites in your own region to get the key and then you open it with the key, or if maybe this will be, you know, this could be like a low sec thing where you have to go to low sec to get the keys, or it could even work with some kind of LP store thing. Like I'm just uh, completely speedballing now to try and say that we cannot make any plans or make any speculation until we know that like the nitty gritty detail, you know, of how, the, these keys work, how many keys drop, because I imagine at the beginning, there's so many IUBs and it might even take multiple keys to completely drain each IUB. Uh, that's something that they explain, by the way, when the keys will, the way the keys will work, you will have to choose like some kind of window to either steal fast with a small amount or steal a lot, but you have to sit there like 30 minutes or something. Uh, so will there even be enough keys dropped at the beginning to make this viable? Or will it be one thing where everybody's running these sites and there's keys are rare and they all go for billions and billions. Who knows? Um, yeah, those those questions we actually don't, nobody has an answer for because we don't know the mechanics yet. Yeah, I think all questions have been answered. I think we've been going on for about an hour. That's where I would plan to stop. But the economy topic did get a bunch of votes and um, mm. uh, some of it we went over already, so let me go over it quickly, because there were so many questions about SRP, and uh, I know that, so we fully SRP everything and everybody gets paid out eventually, but it's very clear that some of the delays in SRP are frustrating people, and uh, this is a problem that I knew about. I didn't realize it was uh, that uh, glaring of a problem, so we'll, we'll make it a big priority now. Um, there was two things that I noticed in the last weeks that we're becoming an issue economy-wise for us. One is this is a big thing you guys just mentioned. The other is contract prices. So this contract prices thing started with somebody uh, was linking me, I think a thread or something from a goon bragging about other contracts were cheaper than ours. And so I was thinking, this really shouldn't be the case. We have access to resources. Well, they have to import everything. So we must be doing something wrong if our contracts are more expensive than theirs. Like we have to solve this and make sure that at least our guys are paying as much as they are for like an eagle. And so I started going to the bottom of this and I was talking to some of our builders and it turns out that the majority of our contracts were either imported, importing build ships all the way from JITA, which is very expensive or worse. We were building in drones and then importing all the acts from drones uh, to Delve. And the, it showed me the, the shipment cost for, for this, the way to, for doing the things that way. And basically that was the biggest uh, culprit for this different in prices. And of course, it's just silly to have a war that's been going on for so long and keep on you know, flying like import cars that we have to move from the other side of the map. So the first thing we did was understand what the problems were, why we weren't building in Delve. And essentially the um, indexes are very high. If you build a lot in one system, the index starts to raise. So the first thing we did, we invested in building a new um, industry park. That just means you take a system that has not been used before. So the index is low and you put all the structure you need to build. And then we went over the math again. And I hope that very soon or already now, uh, that will lead to uh, a reduction in the cost of a more competitive uh, cost for, for hacks and the ships in general. And the advantage is also if we can build everything locally, then we can use all the stuff that we're mining locally, particularly 
one of the things I talked about in my last town hall is Los Secours. And I don't want to take too much time going on a, on a big tangent about Los Secours, but the TLDR is this. CCP had changed ores so that whatever you're making, if it's a tech one ship especially, you cannot get everything from one place. So you can get some of the ore only from NOSEC, some of the ore only from ISEC, and those are relatively easy to obtain because everybody has easy access to both NOSEC and ISEC. And then there's the bottleneck, which has become the LOSEC, or that's the ore you can only get from LOSEC. And so we set up our own whole mining thing in, uh, in LOSEC. I think some of you have seen the pings. Uh, I think that was incredibly successful because we managed to produce more ore than we needed and then started to even dump it in Jita. And the price of the LOSEC ore in Jita has actually crashed by almost, like it's almost half what it was post-patch. I'm not saying this is just thanks or in due to our work and our mining but i think uh it's probably mostly the stuff that got speculated on that gets dumped on the market but i think our guys that set up i helped set up this mining sig did a really good job and i'm where i'm getting with this is that we have these ore locally that we can use to build and then we don't even need to spend the extra to move in all this compressed ore from jita because we have it right here and the other thing that this ties into is moons and uh, in order you know the materials that are used to build uh, hacks and tech to ships in general come from moons and so we were like well we could save a lot of money and make our people richer if we could mine some good moons in the area. So what are the moons and are they already being mined or is there opportunity to do so? So first we found some low sec moons in Aridia R64s that were under init control. We flipped those. I think that those are coming out in the next weeks already. They've been chump chunking for a bit. And the idea is simply to have fleets open to Puppy to go and devour them in like subcaps and maybe you know some cheap link ship just people making easy money at low risk and the other thing that was mentioned and somebody was asking earlier was internal questions what about this thing of locusting in delve and i think there is a um wow a lot of good basically to be had for everybody if uh, we can follow the simple locust uh, concept which is you make uh, a lot of moons come out the same day and then you form a giant fleet and mine them one by one i don't even know if it's worth using rorquals for these locust fleets given in the current uh, day and age but if we did and then this escalated into a big cap fight outside of 1dq i think we'd all be happy to see that happen oh. and um, maybe hold, one possibility on. is that because hold on uh, so gobbins just said maybe we do locust fleets Mine some of these moons in Delve. Draw out super capitals from Imperium, who are not going to allow that, probably. And that creates a big fight. And he says everybody would be happy to see that. Very interesting. So I think when you think about Gobbin saying, if you're waiting for a big cataclysmic fight of 1DQ, it's not going to happen. What he's saying is they're not rushing in with all their heavy ships just to get bottlenecked in gates and stuff like that, or whatever, into this defensive situation. Uh, he also later said that, of course, if it evolves, it evolves out of some accident, then of course they'll get involved. But they're not going to just run into that. But he's saying here, what if they do a locust fleet? And if they do, does that draw out heavy-duty ar armada from Imperium? And if it's drawn out into the open, because they don't really have structures to you know, uh, kind of, you know, keep themselves invulnerable on, is that too big a risk uh, for them? This is a very interesting proposition. I didn't catch the first time around. 
because there's so many moons coming out at once one will level the rocco sun and like the defense of the whole umbrella and the others will be subcap i don't think we like figured out the details of this yet but uh one thing i'm really happy about is that when we do these these moons in Delve, all the people that have been fighting here can just grab a barge very cheap ship and make uh really nice money for all of their alts uh, just mining some of these moons with uh, with low skill points characters so i'm really happy that uh, we figured this out with uh, with test and the other guys in the area to organize to chunk the moon so that they they will be mined by all puppy so yeah and this ties into local production so um, i could kind of envision a stage of this siege where basically we are able to take even bad fights you know uh, bad battle reports where we lose we we feed ships in order to try and achieve our objectives and it's okay because we got this strong economy backing us up as well as lo local production so even if we're losing ships essentially that also drives our local economy of people both making the people that are mining these resources richer like our own guys and our builders richer and uh, if we could bring this to a point where a lot of folks are getting into industry and don't need to do the whole process but even running some reactions and making profit from that that would be really exciting for me it's kind of ambitious if you think about it because it's almost like trying to build a integrated industry right next to a like a hot war zone and a siege scenario uh, but if it works i think it would be very good for us um yeah, my other note, so this was about the, the contract prices and then, okay, going back to the SRP thing, uh, a while back people were um, mentioning up that SRP was taking a bit too long. And so at the beginning, the way we fixed that is that after a big fight, so I would just sort of poke Calbuir and ask him if he could pay out the goblins uh, as soon as possible. Now, when things move towards more of a tempo where you have many skirmish fleets and many smaller fights, then that's harder to do. And more importantly, it's important to revisit the system where people can get their SRP faster. So essentially, uh, I haven't had a chance to chat directly with Calbury yet, uh, but I think what we will do is uh, revamp our, uh, our SRP system and either only keep gobloons as a way for to pay people for uh, stimulus and other stuff like that or Gobloons. move away from the goblin system whatever <laughs> works and based on who can code this and who has time um, that's hard money i think uh, credit just system. to give some background essentially the reason that we have the current srp system is that at the very beginning of ord we came up with this solution that would have the minimum amount of uh, overhead in terms of people like people having to do bureaucratic stuff and because Ord was enlarged at the time, that was a pretty clever solution because instead of manually paying SRP to everybody, a script would automatically credit goblins to people that lost ships. And then once people had a bunch of SRP stacked up, they would ask for their goblins to be paid out, which can be done all at once. So in, let's say that you are asking SRP for what was five ships worth losses. Mm -hmm. The work on our manager side was only to send disk once instead of five times so that was why it was designed that way oh that's so interesting i never knew what gabloons were but he's basically saying they were vouchers for ships since horde had so many people and they all used really inexpensive ships instead of making a man hour bottleneck and burning out the guy who's doling out 50 cents at a time they basically automated the system that said you get 50 cents every time you die and then after you hit a $10 worth, 
then you get paid $10 worth. Uh, and that way, it, the, the actual work burden, the man hour tax on the guy doling the stuff out isn't nearly as great. And so that's what gabloons were. That's interesting. Never knew that. And uh, Azor grew, I guess we were kind of happy with the SRP system and how it worked, so we never really addressed it. Uh, but from the comments, I see that now it's starting to become a pain point. So we'll definitely address that. Um, for some of the rare ships, we've been doing direct SRP, as in, like, you lose a Skybreaker, Elevood gives you a new Skybreaker. So nobody has to pay anything or uh, wait on, on money. Um, but mm. that wouldn't work at a bigger scale. Oh, another thing, a comment somebody said, whether in the new system, we could also have some way for the people to know if the SRP has been registered by the bot, because normally the bot scans the lost mails and then adds, you know, okay, this guy is entitled to so much SRP. And so I think that's something also a feature that we'd want. Uh, it's, it's a good suggestion. Um, okay. Yeah. So on the subject of the economy, those were my notes. Uh, Ilian, did you see any questions? Um, economy related, I suppose, is people have been asking quite a bit about um, coring for desires to generate stocks back home in TK. You said coring. Hmm. So this is the first coring. time I hear about this. And uh, basically, so people are saying that structures, uncore structures are being shot at back at home. I, I think it's more people being annoyed about the structures not being cored. Because, oh, you know, okay, they, like they, for they, Reddit, so they, so they could tether. Yeah. Okay, I see. I Apparently see. there's like no tetherable structure within like three or four jumps sometimes. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, we should definitely add the course. Um, I don't know who could be a good person to uh, take. You, uh, you, can't, you can't tether on uncored structures. And uh, these are structures that are back in their home area. So there's a lot of gaps in where you can tether. And that's what people are complaining about. First time he's hearing about it. So he's getting it worked out. Okay, I think we'll yeah. skip ahead. Comment or... Let me know which one needs the core, and then we'll we'll get them cored. I think he explains it right here why that's important. Like uh, somebody can make a list, for example, if you are spending a lot of time around TKE, uh, make a list of systems that don't have the core. Tell us which Citadel are already there, and we'll uh, we'll get Mitch Dell and the and the boys to add cores, no problem. Um, yeah, normally in these tunnels, uh, I like to have DFCs. If you well, I might have skipped it. The, the way he explains is it. People don't need to just tether for PvP. They also do it for PvE. When they need to take a break, they can tether up uh, and uh, do some stuff, or they can go there and cap up. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. So it's it's not just for defense. You need cores and structures so that you can have a lot of the fitting stuff that you do and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, they want more cores. I didn't prepare this this time. So if at last minute, uh, for example, uh, I'm thinking Securitas, uh, I see you send me uh, a PM. Securitas, are you around? Or maybe he's, uh, he's answering this fleet with the... Uh, I cannot find him in the chat. They're looking for an FC. Uh, have yeah, a few maybe words. we can have another time. So they'll wait till next time. Okay, yeah. Um, so let me see. That's kind of a larger topic. Can you break down to what like the questions are asking? Mostly uh, just people asking about like uh, when is Pesky going to end? How is it going to end? What is going to happen afterwards? So scarcity is a big okay. question. This will be a rehash of some of the stuff we talked last week. So if I repeat myself, uh, that's just for people that weren't there. All right. So if you weren't listening, this is about scarcity. It's about CCP. It's about development. This is an interesting section, and then we'll end uh, pretty much after this. I believe that in CCP's vision, scarcity 
already went far enough and they already felt that way back when they basically implemented the, the patch that changed the industry and the BPOs. I know that they have interest, and I believe they've also disclosed this publicly, to bring resources back in the game, and especially in a way that brings big ships back out, whether it's uh, caps doing PvE, whether it's Rorquals, whether it's... And we gave them some suggestion about that. Um, I don't know the timing or how long it will take CCP to implement these changes. I think they're rather urgent in a way that people have been um, looking for uh, a bounce back from scarcity for a while. So I suggested to them to try and accelerate the, the process of introducing these uh, these new resources as quickly as possible. But, uh, you know, it's also summer in Iceland, so sometimes things slow down a lot during uh, during the summer there. Hmm. Uh, but as far as their intention goes, which I think is what people are asking when you were saying, when is CCP going to end scarcity? I think that as far as their intention and their mindset goes, they've already ended it. And they're, they're now making the moves to undo this, to, not to undo the scarcity, but to bring back resources that uh, people can harvest to make money faster if they uh, take upon themselves a bigger risk. And if you want to, if you, Okay, I have to stop there. I love that. Uh, and I kind of agree with it. Uh, Gobin says, CCP has already uh, stopped doing the cutting, is what he's saying. So he's, they say he already ended scarcity. But what he's saying is they're no longer taking things away. Now they're in the process of giving things, giving ways to make or grab minerals better, uh, faster, easier, incentivizing risk, basically, which is what CCP said they would do. Uh, I think CCP themselves said, look, this is the bottom of the floor. That was a while ago. And I don't think there was anything that was dropping after that. But uh, he's saying the same thing, that probably CCP now is going to start tooling up ways to get more, um, to get wealthier quicker if you're risking things. You think about it. <clears throat> the Marauder buff was meant to be a step in that direction. Uh, one could argue that the Marauders are still not good enough at PV at making money fast enough. And instead, the reason they're so good is because they're so good at killing roaming ships. So it's, it's not really what their goal was. I guess they wanted a ship that, was, that made a lot of money. But if you get caught, then the roamers get a nice payday. And instead, it's not actually that great at making money, but it kind of shuts down and oppresses roamers pretty hard. But anyway, so, and I think maybe there will be more changes to the, the I, I don't think any changes to your Marauder plan, but I could see CCP being interested in making further changes to balance it out. Where I'm getting with this is I definitely think that their intention, as already evidenced by some of their action, is to bring in uh, more resources to the game, more, um, so maybe more wealth, but basically to allow players to have ways to make uh, a lot of risk again if they take on the risk. A lot of isk again if they take on the risk associated with putting an expensive stake on the field like a siege marauder or something like that or a siege rorqual etc uh, that's interesting i did not uh, think of marauders as part of the way of giving uh, i thought ess is part of scarcity in giving people ways of making money that um a lot of money basically i thought you know some of the rewards they've been giving for uh, triglavian space although it, it's ambiguous uh, because only certain missions were really lucrative. But there have been places in high sec, places in low sec, and ESS that have made doing things and risking things valuable. 
Uh, but I didn't think of the Marauder as part of that. And now that I think about it, it makes sense. I think he explained, if he, do, if he didn't already, he will explain that the Marauder was supposed to be really good at making money uh, because it could really burn through. You saw that. You could just look at the changes and you knew they wanted to make this the PvE ship that would go in there and just demolish missions. But uh, that would become, because it's so expensive, a target for small gang guys that wanted to take it down. And it actually didn't work out that way. The Marauder was really good at taking out small gangs. Uh, and so it, was, it, it really didn't have the risk-reward ratio that it, that it needed to have. Um, another part of the, the pain point of scarcity isn't just the, uh, the fact that it's harder to get this, like, the same resource that you could get before, now you get less of them, or they can be stolen from you, etc., etc. Another pain point is also the fact that they changed the blueprint so that now... Uh, ships above battleships are basically very expensive, like too expensive. You could argue even the battleships are a bit too pricey, though with the market stabilizing itself, the price has been going down to where SRPing a, a fitted, fully fit, excuse me, SRPing a fully fit battleship today, right now, costs less than SRPing a hack, which is not a terrible place, I think, for battleship. Um, but for cabs and supers, I think they definitely went too far. They still claim that that depends on how the market adjusts, in particular for like the cost that comes from gas and from these tokens. Um, again, for those that are not up to speed, you now need special resources for caps, supers, and even battleships that you didn't need before. Some of them are from PI, some of them are from gas, and then uh, importantly, some of them are special tokens and items that only drop in certain areas and I think certain exploration sites. And the good part of this is that they designed it in a way where now they can change the cost of a super or a titan without affecting the price of a ferox, which was not the case before because they all use the same resources. Now they can touch one without touching the other, whether by touching those tokens or by changing uh, how much gas you need or the availability of gas. Um, Having said that, so there is a way in which they could bring uh, the cost of caps and supers down by making some of these things like gas and like the tokens more available. I don't know if they're convinced that that's a good idea yet. We definitely brought it up to them. We should look these prices like people are just not using them. Not e even a dread bomb has become a very rare occurrence now. Mm. So and. Uh, I can't say exactly what they told me, but the gist of it is that they know that it takes time for the market to adjust. And so they want to first see how the markets adjust. Not so surprising. That's uh, on the topic of the, the new blueprints and how much caps, et cetera, cost. And that's how CCP um, normally acts, right? They let everything kind of filter out, then they make some changes. Mox says that we consider removing SRP. I know you said this as a joke, but I think SRP is one of the things that Interesting here. People um, are less honest about in that if you ask Reddit or someplace like that, everybody says, oh, you know, I PvP for the fun. I don't care if I lose ships. But yet, look, if if there's problem with SRP, people get mad really quick. I think <laughs> SRP is really, really important. <laughs> That's a All right. So if you want to make fun of Nullsec guys, they're on the dole. <laughs> all of them complain when there's no SRP. Uh, except people like me. I never actually took SRP from NC dot. Uh, I didn't get killed that much, but you know, logistic pilots. Um, but most people that are, you know, active in fleets, the good, the good players, the ones that are in there all the time doing stuff, 
They need their SRP. Uh, uh, yeah. Checking for questions. Mm -hmm. There are questions, but I don't see that are related directly to <coughs> scarcity, as you answered the one that was. Let's see here. Hold on, Sek just sent me a PM that he dumpstered the goons. I'm just going to ask him real quick if he wants you. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I love the way he says that. Meanwhile, you can check for questions, but we're basically at the end of the tunnel. I just want to yeah. see, I wanted to give Securitas space. I think he BFC to comes on and say a few things about his uh, recent adventures. He comes on, he doesn't say very much, and he gets interrupted because he's still fighting. It's kind of funny. It's like trying to interview somebody when there's a bar fight and all these chairs are flying overhead and the guy is, needs to go and punch some people out, so he doesn't have time to talk. It's kind of funny. But I think this is the ending. There might be something here. I've also sent a message to Johnny in case he wants to talk about the mini deployment to Azotir, uh, but I think he's busy at the moment. Anyways, yeah, hmm. thanks guys for hopping on. Uh, go join SEC to shoot some bombers instead of listening to me talk. And uh, yeah, any questions? I'll still check tunnel questions channel during the day. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks again for the CSM votes. Have a good weekend. All right, that's the end of the town hall from Gobbins, the leader of Horde. And uh, what we'll do next is switch over quickly to... Oh, but let me review for people who don't know. He went, he asked, uh, here are six topics. Which ones do you guys want me to talk on in what order? So he left it up to Horde. And uh, besides a little joke of everybody hitting the spy uh, reaction, which was kind of funny, uh, they took on fittings, which is funny because that is what people are interested in inside of a, a NullSec Alliance. They want to know, like, what should I prepare for in my arsenal to be able to participate? So that was first. Then second, he took on um, the geopolitical parts of it, which are kind of the story narratives of what's this war all about? And how's it going to play out? And what are we looking for um, as far as uh, signs that things are moving along? And he talked about economy, and that led into... Um, scarcity and when scarcity going to be lifted. He says it's not going to be lifted. CCP's already hit the floor as far as what they're cutting. Now they're just building it back, which is something that has been public for a while. We talked about it a lot on Talking In Stations. Um, but uh, look, but what was surprising to me is trying to understand the Marauders part in that was interesting. Um, also, the ESS keys are coming out and how that would probably be beneficial to people who can actually um, participate outside of Delve effectively. Now, we don't know how those keys are going to be distributed, and there's a lot to know before you can figure out how ESS is going to play out. Those long-term bank or pots of money that are out there in each region, that's going to be interesting. So we'll see. Now, we're going to move over to Northern Coalition. I have that file just here. Uh, let me... Uh, Load it up, and then we'll listen to a really something we don't often get to hear. We'll hear Vili uh, or Pro God Legend. We'll hear Matani. Uh, we'll hear Gobbins now. He's a lot more regular than he was. But we don't get to hear the mysterious Vince Drack, and some people don't even know what he sounds like. And uh, I, I wrote an article long ago. I think Elise criticized it. God bless him. Uh, because I called Vince Drack and Blackbeard. Because I see him as a Blackbeard figure where he's, uh, he's like that pirate king that you know exists, but you never see him. But all these guys are loyal to him. And they don't do a lot of talking. They just do a lot of smacking down. <laughs> so that's kind of what NC means to me. It's a little bit romantic, but uh, that's, how, that's how I see uh, that whole place. And it's all built on uh, Lady Scarlet who makes... Sure that the, the NC dot holds together financially and uh, organizationally. 
Um, and Vince Draken is like the figurehead uh, lead FC. And um, he's the last word there. So here is Vince Draken in his own words talking to NCDOT about where they're at in this war. And it'll be some interesting stuff. One thing I'm going to prepare you for, I was an NCDOT and I love listening to Vince talk. I think he's, to me, he's a very classic EVE Online type of uh, leader. You won't hear a lot of BS from him. He's going to come out and tell it like it is. Here you go. Vince Draken. Okay, so I was going to start with um, a quick um, broad overview of my view of the war on Delve um, as it stands right at this moment in time. So Delve at this moment in time is in a situation where um, Boons and friends, to their credit, are playing the defensive uh, war very well within the 1DQ constellation. Um, we have made many attempts to unpick the lock, as I like to call it, um, and they are learning to adapt much quicker than, than they have in the past. And that is much easier when you are in a strong position like they are, whether you're, you're defending a few systems and those few systems all work on the basis of basically two entrances basically a choke point system in this case which would be one dq and then outside of that you've got a sanajama wall and a great use of jump bridges so as i said it's fair to say that their defense so far has been has been pretty good um we've had some um good brawls off the back of it um we've had our asses kicked on plenty of occasions as well so um it's fair to say the credit where it's due and i think we need to acknowledge that now everybody at the start of this war howled about how that you know certain people have had certain objectives and one of those objectives was to kill goonswarm now we have been fighting uh, the Matani and his people for quite a long time. Is it realistic to kill an alliance? Is it realistic to kill a coalition? Probably more so. And what I mean by that is is generally the way that these larger groups, Panfam is one of them, um, for them to splinter is that you know those groups break apart, smaller fractions either get merged and then others just go and join other alliances. So. Goons are very much at that point at the moment, uh, whereby, you know, the people that are worth having, as I'm going to call them, are there. Um, one of those is the initiative. Um, and then they have a couple of other smaller entities, which, you know, again, let's give them some credit too. Um, but we're talking, you know, 20 or 30 people in a fleet. So um, it's important to note that, you know, objectives um, remain the same for us, which is, um ultimately they for many years have came and knocked over our sandcastle and here we are knocking over their sandcastle and for the most part the sandcastle is well and truly knocked over with the exception of one dq so the objective continues um we are um not about to you know fill in our giant sandcastle fill it with water and pretend it never happened um, we are in this for um, the long run, as I said from the start. Um, and, you know, if that means bedding in Delve and getting yourselves comfortable in Delve or queries or period basis, then then I encourage you to do so. Um, outside of that, um, I do think it's worth mentioning that 
given the time of year that we are approaching and, and predominantly, um, I can't speak for other alliances. Okay. So he's fixed his shit, but, um, where was I? Um, so yeah, so we're coming into a period of time whereby, uh, traditionally outside of, um, you know, global pandemics and all that type of thing. Um, we have a period of, you know, people generally like to go outside and enjoy the outdoors. And I think it's fair to say that across, certainly across um, the Northerners and some of the other bigger corporations, you know, it is noted that, you know, people do now or starting to be able to um, get some normality back. And what I don't want to do is kind of, you know, push people to play online spaceships when, you know, most of us have been locked up for the past 12 months. So what I want to say is that I don't want anybody to be sitting in Dell thinking, well, you know, it's been a day or two and, you know, not a lot has really happened. Um, that being said, um, you know, things slowly but surely, you know, at some point, you know, goons are, are going to have to, come to the realization that, you know, they can't just live in six systems forever because, you know, they can't grow there. Um, that's, that's not a thing. So, you know, and slowly but surely, they, they will equally try and pick their way back out of their current situation. And rightly so, because as it stands at the moment, in my opinion, they are in a, in a strong position. Um, large members of other alliances are, how can I put this? In a situation whereby, you know, they've already erected their fucking flag and they think that they, you know, they won the war and they're already crabbing it up in, you know, various different regions surrounding Delve. Like, those are the people that will fucking come out short in this war because they're the people that, you know, when the time comes and, you know, it is very possible that at some point, you know, those guys are going to get shit on, that they'll, they'll be the first ones to cry. So it is very important to note that, you know, it is a core of people that are left in Delve and all of the original hanger-oners have, you know, now found their own respective rocks to climb back under and they're going about their business. And I don't want you guys to lose sight of our rock. You know, our shit is still very much intact. Um, outside of the odd jump bridge being reinforced and probably a horde fucking uh, jump gate being destroyed on the other occasion, you know, the drone regions is, you know, as good as ever. Um, it's, it's for the most part, a safe place to be, other than the odd dark shines, fucking incursion, which generally results in this spy jump cloning and shitting all over him. But for the most part, you know, you know, you can go there and do your thing. And I do want to encourage that outside of ops. But it is very important for everybody to note that, you know, home is Delve for now, guys. Home is Delve. Um, and what I mean by that is your death clone is set there and, you know, outside of ops, I do want you to go and explore and, you know, do, do the things that you like to do when you, when we're not, you know, in 10% tie dye fights. And I do have a couple of things that, that I do think are worthwhile. So, um, I know that Romulus and a couple of the other guys, um, Okay, uh, I'm going to stop there for a second, and I don't know why it was muted. This uh, is acting strange. I just wanted to point out that I wasn't sure who he was talking about, but I think what he's saying is the people who are worth keeping inside of Goon Swarm are now in Goon Swarm, so they're uh, the solid guys that are going to stick around. The people who fell off are in and around the region uh, who are already starting to, like feel like it, the war is over for them, and they're starting to relax and do the things that they want to do with those people. 
will get crunched uh, pretty quickly after the war uh, if uh, the Imperium decides to come out of the uh, area that they're in. Uh, if, if Pappy were to go away, I think, and these guys were to come back out. I think that's what he's talking about. He may be talking about also Test and Brave and allies that are not taking the war seriously anymore and they're going about their daily business in the area um, and not fighting, that those guys will be the first casualties if NC Dot and PL and Horde go away because they're further away, right? Tess has to live here. Brave has to live next door, etc. So those guys, if they're not still fighting, they ought to be because it's them who will suffer first. I think that's who he was talking about. All right, let's continue. He's going into now talk about the uh, interrupting logistic lines through ganking. And this is one of the ways that NC dot guys can relax. They can go into high sec and gank. Now I'm not certain, but even when I was in NC dot and they would gank in high sec, I don't remember any level of toxicity to it, right? This is a different type of, uh, I mean, the results the same. You lose your stuff if you're a victim to this, right? But at least it doesn't have that torturous, um, uh, salt mining, they call it, where they're trying to get you to basically break apart emotionally so they can make fun of you. Like, I don't think NC Dot does that. If they do, I'm pretty sure that's looked down upon. Uh, unlike other groups that enjoy doing that sort of stuff, like, uh, you know, uh, I forget what code's called these days. Anyway, here you go. A little more of Vince Draken. In particular, they, they do a lot of the hunting. Uh, they like to Benji and those guys, along with um, a couple of the test guys and a couple of the horde guys. I've set up um, like an empire um, ganking group. Um, I pinged that into the announcements channel, um, uh, probably back end of last week. Um, that is definitely something that, you know, as the game changes and, and things like the situation we're at the moment, whereby, you know, wobbles, bubbles, gates, fighters, jump bridges, and sino jammers, you know, it added, you know, a bazillion dudes. Um, you know, it makes life difficult. So when those 10% tie-dye fights are not going on and when we're not, you know, charging in there to shoot fighters or whatever it is we're going to do, um, I really want to encourage people to get involved in that. Um, and the ships the ships that we will use during that, um, you know, they're cheap ships. So I think it's something that we will, I will discuss it with Romulus and those guys that are looking after that and we'll look at getting some sort of um, SRP in place for those. So, you know, you can basically do that um, you know, for free, um, whilst, you know, utilizing your time online. So, so that's one thing. Um, and then I'm going to introduce something else, which is kind of encourages for more for the solo guys amongst you is, um, thanks to Bluetooth largely. Um, he is going to be running a, a, a catch the pony incentive. And, you know, we all know what we're talking about when we talk about the ponies. So the catch the pony incentive is going to involve um, something that involves you solo guys hunting and killing certain ponies and capturing those killers. So that's going to get posted on the forums. I don't want to uh, steal his thunder, so that we're going to get that posted here in the next couple of days. So that's just two um, little things that I think would be worthwhile people getting involved in. Um, that I think is is definitely worth everybody having a look at outside of ops. Now, as I said earlier, it is very important that everybody does have, especially at this time of year, I appreciate that 
you know, in the heat of the moment and when the big fights are going on, I'm the, probably the worst person in the world, spamming fucking Discord. Um, but going into the summer period whereby things generally do quieten off and people generally, you know, do spend a lot more time, you know, outdoors, I need everybody to pay attention to the relevant ping channels. As I said, as, as time goes on and, and, and people get more comfortable with their current environment, the, the more that you will start to see things like um, the Imperium or the Initiative or whoever trying to branch out outside of 1DQ and Curse because, you know, they have to continue to, to, to prove to their members that, you know, it's okay, guys. And, you know, they have to do that without just sitting in 1DQ 24-7 because, you know, at some point, you know, people are going to be like, you know, there's more to this game than just sitting in these six systems. And again, to be fair, I believe that they um, have already acknowledged that, which is why they have their own versions of what I've just mentioned going on, whether it's wormholes, whether it's um, their various SIGs in HiSec, um, or, you know, jump clone deployments like Welp Squad doing all those guys. So it is very important, guys, that you actually do use these things and you do make the most of them. So when you're time online is used uh, wisely now there's a couple of other things that i want to um mention is that there is no there is no long-term goal and i have been asked this question a couple of times that you know oh we're going to get into the long-term goal about what's going on here but first i wanted to reflect on what he just said is essentially reminding everyone to avail themselves of the free time and the relaxed spirit of doing other things because they are dedicated to this and they're going to be here. And whilst they're not in tie-dye, they should take some time to go out and do some uh, high-sec ganking or do these other things that are being set up. And he mentioned the guys that are setting those up. And he gave credit to Goonswarm for already realizing that they need to do the same thing. And they're all, there are outlets in other parts of space in order to give their guys a better living condition than just living in six systems in a place that's essentially uh, surrounded. Now he's going to go on to the long-term prospects of this war. I'll back up just a little bit to get it all in one thing. This is Vince Draken from NCDOT on long-term prospects of this war. There is no long-term goal, and I have been asked this question a couple of times, that, you know, are we going to take down our shit in, in, in drone regions and move it to Delve? The, the quickest and easiest and shortest answer to that is absolutely not. In my opinion, our current situation in the drone regions is, is, is a very good one. Um, the infrastructure we have there is, is by far better than anything that we've ever had before. Um, strategically, it's a very good place to be. Um, and, you know, it's just generally a pain in the ass to get to. So, um, you know, given all the changes that have been made and whatnot, um, that works for us. So I don't want people thinking that, you know, they need to worry about their shit that they have back home because, you know, home's home. Um, at the moment, we're just in a home away from home, as they call it. So, you know, Del Delve is the, is the, you know, the home away from home in terms of, you know, this is where the rest of the game are. This is where the only people we really shoot currently live. So, you know, why would it be, we be anywhere else? I like that. The only people we ever shoot uh, tells you something about the history of how long they've been uh, pursuing Goonswarm to uh, f fight them. There, I, there have been moments, actually, where they have worked together. We've seen fleets from NCDOT and Goonswarm actually work together, but very few of those, and they're usually incidental. But I don't think there have ever been any campaigns where they have had mutual interests lined up enough. 
So that just tells you where they are on this fence. Uh, he's saying keep your stuff in our home areas back over in drones because that is their home, their long-term home. But right now they're on deployment in Delve and that is their clone deployment home, which he mentioned early on in this. So please just remember where we come from, um, why we're here and why we're still shooting these people after 10 years of, of shooting each other because you know this is what we do. I think it's fair to say that I think a, a thank you is due from me to, to the FC team, to the suppliers, to the Glory Hills group, to leadership and to you, to members of this alliance because I don't believe for the most part I have seen any real moaning. Um, you know, people accept the situation is what it is. And I think largely people have chosen to go about their business and they show up when we need you to, which is which is more than I can ask for. So keep doing what you're doing. Use Delve as, as a as a place to, you know, have fun, set up your geek camp, do whatever it is you want to do. If you want to make this, go home and do it. Don't do it here because there's more chance you're going to get dropped on uh, relatively easily um in the surrounding areas i think that pretty much sums up what i need to say about kind of the the current situation kind of what my views are in terms of you know do we stay or do we go and you know is it is it a short term or is it a long term hopefully i've ticked those boxes for you um the next bits i wanted to cover just is in regards to ship types so um, we're currently in discussions at the moment off the back of the dev blog in regards to T3 cruisers. So I am hoping that um, we can look to have some fun with a T3 cruiser again because, let's be honest, you know, that was one of the big pain in the asses about the T3 cruisers is that you die and you lose skill points. And then, you know, your fits don't work and all that bullshit. So um, that was an exciting change for sure. Um, and then on top of that, um, there is also some opportunity to start looking at things like the Stormbringer and things like that. So in a moment, um, just as I get wrapped up here, I'm going to post a list of skills that, again, I don't want everyone to rush out and start buying these because you'll fuck the market. I just want people over time, there's no deadline on this, but I just want people to start looking at these ships and and getting the relevant skills. Um, I'll post that up shortly, and then at some point I will get... Um, Need to spar one of the RFCs to make posts just detail on exactly what those skills are. And then I'd like everybody to to make that a work towards. And it's not a ship that we're going to be using to potentially jump into a thousand people and just, you know, get, get swatted like a fly um, anytime soon. But it's definitely a ship that has some interesting um, dynamics now that they've made the changes to them. So if I could ask everybody to, once I've posted the list, just Cast your eye over. Some of you may have done it already. Um, some of you will have it as a, you know, a to do on your skill list. So I'll post that shortly. Um, now, in regards to um, fleet guys, it is important that everybody accepts that in in different time zones, different things happen. Now, in US time zone in particular, um, brother Bob and 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 um, Joey in particular. So I'm going to give Joey a shout out because. He's been doing some pretty good things in terms of forming alliance fleets. And then on top of that, he's been doing lots of Pappy Assemble fleets. By the way, these are FCs. And Joey, I think, is from the Imperium. He switched near the beginning of the war, maybe just into it. I believe that's true. Um, which in turn, you know, 
gets those guys that aren't in this alliance that you know do see that things do still happen outside of charging into one dq um you know those guys that get to have fun too so um shout out to joey for his his efforts and obviously um you know bob being back whilst Pitts is away um the guys in that time zone that have been riding bikes has, has filled the gap so keep going guys and then obviously then we've got the australian time zone so i think that was a pretty decent and busy time zone for for quite a while and that will certainly uh, pick back up again um as and when um we're ready to do so uh, like i said we are looking to replicate that of for example the initiative declared their summer break whereby they have chosen to you know go sit in person make it so you know just because we're sitting in delve doesn't mean that you know haha we've got you trapped type of thing you can't go about your business as i just said i i thoroughly encourage you to go about your business and you know don't worry too much about sitting and spinning your ship because if we need you you will know about it yes because vince pings a lot uh to get people in the fleet and it works he's able to do that that's what being an fc and leader of a group like nc dot is is getting those fighters those players that have been around a long time and they've seen everything and to motivate them to get into a fleet is no small task it takes someone like vince to be able to do that he also talked about Australian time zone will get busy again because it was busy earlier. Now it's a bit of a lull. That's the domain of Van Diemen's demise, uh, VDD they're known. It's a great Australian uh, corp that uh, was in NC Dot, went over to PL and came back to NC Dot uh, not that long ago. Their uh, FC is Malachi, good FC, and uh, it's a good time for late US and Australian time zone people. All right, let's see what else Vince has to say. Um, so with that in mind, um, EU time zone. Now, that is probably the, the, the most difficult time zone because it's, it's, whilst it's our strongest time zone, it's also Goon's strongest time zone. Um, and obviously they're in a situation where they have been using their success to leverage their numbers too, which is what you do in a war like this. Um, it's important to note that, you know, these you know, sneaky flash forms that we generally are starting to see more of now. And it may not necessarily be 80 people. It might be 20 or 30 people. Those are the, those are the times when you're going to get good opportunity. So if I, again, if I could say to everybody, those that, you know, are able to play, we are going to be setting up a, a bit more of a, a relaxed um, ping group. So for those of you that, you know, are keen to, be at the PC and, and getting involved and, you know, ticking off small objectives, whether it be, you know, dropping on stuff that leaves the 1DQ constellation or anything outside of that. So we're going to have a, like a bit of a, a chill ping group. And then there's going to be the usual one that we have, which is the, you know, the old God, we're going to run into the um, great wall of fighters kind of thing um, over the summer period. So hopefully that will help people to, uh, differentiate between you know the the serious business like you know put your cocktails down put your beers down turn the barbecue off and you know get online those kind of things we're going to try and limit where possible and then we'll have the more casual things going out in the the skirmish like ping channel which i haven't quite decided what we'll call yet but um i'm going to get sora to create that and that'll be an open um open group for the most part we may put some administrative permissions on it um i'll let you know um but yeah predominantly um 
EU terms are some definitely good opportunities there and Nitospar in particular has expressed his interest in in you know being very involved in that. You know, that's that's what he wants to do outside of you know the bigger coalition fleet. So um as I would say if you're playing in the EU time zone then you know that's largely where our focus is going to be over that summer period. Um again if you don't want to be doing that and you're you're only interested in logging in for the big big stuff then that's fine. Um but make your you know make use of your time guys. Um by the way, Nidispar, who he's mentioned a few times now, right? If initiative comes out, we just call Nidispar, and Nidispar takes care of initiative. And that's, he's a European time zone FC. He's also, I think, known as Ajax 33, if I'm not mistaken. Woof, correct me if I'm wrong about that. But he's a tournament player like a Gobbins type. Uh, he's really good. He's the one that really put NC on the map as far as tournaments. NC wasn't really great at uh, tournaments until they uh, inherited uh, Nidispar. Pretty much, uh, and he's the leader of, is it Shiva? Yeah, so that corporation in is also the one that um, uh, Killer B gravitated towards after he did his stint in Pandemic Legion. The only group he could go to was Shiva, which is where Nidispar is. They're both German, and uh, I think he uh, Killer B promised uh, Nidispar that he would go there afterwards, and he did, and that's where he did his work inside of NC. in 2018. So, but Nidispar is the uh, masterful um, FC, Calm Collected. Oh, is he not German? Okay, my bad. But uh, Killaby definitely is. I thought there was a German connection there that he said about that. Okay, well, I'll take your word for it. He's, uh, he's European, though. And uh, Nidispar is also, again, somebody that comes up with a lot of the, uh, the, the doctrine work that happens uh, for, for NC. Which is important. You want those like Pando, Nidispar. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Pro God, you know, these things don't always work out, but they're the experimenters and alchemists of what kind of ship to put together. How have the mechanics changed and how can we mutate the doctrines and the theory? That's all theory crafting. It's very, very specialized work. So Nidispar does that uh, in NC. You know, get that crabbing in or, you know, go have fun with Romulus and his boys in ranking the, the jump freighters and the freighters. Um, or, of course, catching the ponies, which, you know, is very important to round up the ponies. So that is pretty much what I wanted to um, cover for now. I am going to look to do a Q&A, guys, within the next seven to ten days or so, so I will let you know. And that will be less of me talking and more of me just answering questions from you, um, which, as you know, I will always answer without any bullshit. You know, whether it makes us look bad or not, that's totally cool by me. Um, because, as you know, I couldn't give a flying fuck what anybody else thinks. We are who we are because we don't give a fuck, and we just get on with... I gotta say, the way he says fuck has always cracked me up. It's fuck. You know, our shit. You know, we don't let people get on our way, we don't let people stand on our growth. Um, we go about our business, and we'll continue to go about our business. Um... So that is largely what I want to cover off. Um, I'm just going to double check whether the FC, any of the FCs that are here have anything to add. Um, and then I think we will leave it there in terms of today, and then we'll get the Q&A session posted for probably late next week. Just bear with me one moment while I post that skill list and just see whether the NFCs have got anything to add. All right, there's a little more here we'll get to. As I said, guys, we're here for the long run. It's a few questions, I think. He answers um, some stuff. Anything else, guys, from FCs? And he'll reiterate. No, cool. Um, guys, it's important that you obviously um, 
as Nitz has said, when you're online or you're about or you're at your computer or even if you're just idling, please make sure that you your characters are logged in where possible. Um, and obviously, as I always say, um, this isn't a time for anybody to be considering liquidating Titans and Supers because I do believe at, at some point, either through our, our hubris or their hubris, um, you know, there may be, a, you know, that, that throwdown that we all um, would love to see. But again, um, as I said, you know, that's definitely not going to happen in a situation where we have to jump through a gate to make it happen. So. He's talking about not selling your supers, not selling your Titans, not selling your super capital ships. You're going to need them in case there's that big fight. That's not going to happen going through a gate is what he just said. We'll just rewind to that point. He'll go on to talk about ponies in a minute, which is kind of funny. Uh, but he's talking about, hold on to your assets. This war isn't over by far. In a situation where we have to jump through a gate to make it happen. So, um, you know, it's still very important, guys, to keep your, your war helmets on and understand that, you know, we're, we're now a year, in, you know, a year into this. Um, you know, there's still plenty of opportunity here. And, you know, let, let's for one minute pretend that, that, you know, it's all over and it's time to go home. You know, I don't really see what else there is to do at the moment. Um, as Nita said, you know, whether it's goons or, or somebody else, you generally end up within, within the, um, the same kind of situation, just in a different location. So, yeah, for the most part, um, keep doing what you're doing, guys. Um, By the way, I just figured something out. This area here that's got some areas missing, that's when Nidispar talked. I think this has been scrubbed to remove his voice because it went public. And because he refers to what, what Nidis just said, and he didn't say anything, I didn't see it. But obviously there's huge gaps there where I think he contributed and he's been scrubbed out. Interesting. All right, let's continue. Oh, I accidentally hit that spot. I think it was right about here. Yeah, for the most part, um, keep doing what you're doing, guys. Um, you know, hang in there. I think it's, it's good that people can now hopefully get back outside. And then when they're not outside and they do want to play a little bit of EVE Online, um, we will have stuff for you to do. Um, the final thing, guys, I wanted to touch on is um, on um, probably Tuesday or Wednesday next week. Um, or maybe I shouldn't give a day to it because I'm, I'm, I'm super busy myself at the moment um, with uh, the UK now largely opening back up again. That obviously means that both of my bits has helped. Oh, so stuff that's we'll kind of um, where my focus is at the moment outside of that is just, you know, making sure that we're still ticking over in the back rooms. Um, so with that in mind, um, I will be returning all of the six month bond payments, um, in the next seven days or so. Um, I just need to sit down with Romulus and a couple of the other guys to help do that. So Rips and Rom and one or two others. So anybody that, that paid a six month bond payment, um, end of June, well, which is what tomorrow um is, is when that rolls so i'll be looking to make those first lot of um payments plus the dividends on those uh next week so wait he's talking about war bonds i didn't know nc dot did war bonds they did six month bonds and he's saying they're due now and he's going to pay them again thanks to those guys that, that provided the six month uh worth of bonds fortunately we you know, we didn't need to use them, so we're going to be returning those, and then we will be following up with the 12 month um, upon completion of their period too, so they all benefit from the 
the interest on those payments as well. So um, that's that's a big thing for me, guys, to get sorted. Um, I don't know. You know, if we have that second throwdown, maybe we'll do it again to make sure that, you know, we, we can go for round if, if if we have that opportunity, which is what our bonds were for in the first place. Um, but like I said, you know, that, that didn't happen, unfortunately. So, yeah, those are going to be getting returned, guys, with the interest as promised. And then we'll do the same thing with the 12-month guys um, upon the anniversary of, of their investment as well. So hopefully that covers everything for now. Um Please think of some questions, guys. I don't care how awkward they are um, for next week. Um, I'll let you know which day it'll be. Um, and I will post in the announcement channel um, when I can spare an evening without um, any mini Vinces running around creating me problems. So thank you all for coming. Um, like I say, please keep doing what you're doing. Keep making NT. great. And I will see you all next week. That was uh, Vince Draken talking to NC Dots. I think the uh, in, some of the more interesting stuff was at the beginning of what he was saying there, where he was giving credit to Goonswarm, longtime rival, doing a good job with their defense. And he's basically saying we're into summer now. Things are going to slow down. Take advantage of that. Relax. Do the things that you want to do that are alternatives to sitting in tie-dye. Don't sell any big assets like supers where you're going to need those. Uh, if the if this fight gets to that point so don't get rid of that kind of stuff but uh, as you can see a completely different style than gobbins gobbins is a lot more um theoretical bringing in bringing you into the psychology of the decisions bringing in a ton of information and detail so that you can have a really clear view of why the logic is the way it is for from his perspective Vince doesn't do any of that. He just tells you what you're doing like it is. And uh, he he very much sums up NC Dot by saying, this is what we do. And I think that is uh, seen on the board in the game whenever you're up against NC Dot, more or less as a, as a political entity. They just do what they do. It's not a lot of um, outward expression of um thinking about is this the right way or is that the right way or any of that kind of stuff it's all that's all done behind the scenes and the decision making is pretty clear and once it's done it's done and they just move out and execute and that's what their style is yeah so i i consider gobbins more of a of a philosopher i consider uh vince more of a general i think if you had to like put these guys into different camps and I would put Matani in the orator's camp, you know, uh, and um, Vili, I think, is also more of an admiral, you know. And then Pro God, he's kind of like, I don't know where to put Pro God. I think he's kind of like a star quarterback. Um, uh, uh, yeah, he's an Achilles, right? You don't know what he's going to do, but he can be very, very effective, incredibly inventive. And there's a lot of other ones. A headliner to me is like an Iceman, right? Like he's... Um, he executes very, very well on the field and off. And he's a very charismatic guy. If you've ever met Headliner in real life, he's incredibly impressive. And so is someone like Noros, incredibly composed and uh, charismatic in their presence. You can feel that coming off them. Uh, so yeah, all these guys all have different personalities, but they've really secured their place at the top of EVE Online's um, 
influence, I guess, influencers uh, over time through a lot of dedication, incredible amount of intelligence and then force of will as well. Okay, so that's what the leaders are saying. With this episode, we had Gobbins doing his town hall and Vince talking to NCDOT. There'll be more of that a bit later on when they do a second round. For now, that's all the time that we have. I appreciate you guys hanging around. Uh, we will see you next time on Talking In Stations.